0: So he met the woman, he, he met this woman at the well, right? Now, when you look at it all the way, and, and he's saying to her, you know, uh, about water, really, the whole time, so we know that Jesus was sent. He was the sent one by God the Father. John 3.16 and, and 1 John 4.10 and 19 will make that crystal clear. He was sent. And, but he was sent as the expression... Of not only a God in terms of ruling, but an affectionate Father. This affectionate Father. So, and in this expression. So, but when he's talking about that here in John four fourteen and and, and, and further in seven thirty eight of John, he's he never spoke. He okay, it's very interesting, but being sent by the Father in John eight verse twenty nine and Romans fifteen verse three, he always did those things that pleased who the Father. It's because of this, this, yes they had that relationship in terms of of deity and the Godhead in John 1 verse 1 and and scores of other verses. But now he's he's in his humanity and finally God has a man, God has a man on the earth replacing the first Adam that is a man after his own heart. (laughs) And what is his heart? What is God's heart? And how is that revealed and who does it reveal it through? And of course, his heart is that he wants to affectionately love us like he loves his son. Of course, in a way that, you know, that the Godhead has always had this and always will. But in terms of humanity, uh, he finally has this. And so because Christ had that, he always did those things that pleased the Father. Now we can have that. And so when we gain Christ through, you know, through propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation, we now have a father. And that's what he was telling Mary at the tomb. It's very interesting in these places. We'll see this this morning. Oh, boy. And oh, how that liar, Mike. Oh, how that liar. In John 8, verse 44, doesn't want us to have this affectionate relationship with a loving father does everything he can to stop that. And when we don't function in Christ and depend upon him, that's what leaves it out of our experience, though it's completely ours in our position. Now, there's three different places here. So in John 4, verse 14, so remember that God sent the Son. He was always doing the things that pleased the Father. I mean, his whole life was to do the will of the Father and to finish the work. (laughs) <laughs> so that we could have that father. That's what he was telling Mary. And Mary, she didn't recognize him. And we're going we're to see how there's three different areas, three different uh, people and people groups that didn't recognize him. Now here is John 4, verse 14. This was the woman that she had a need and she kept coming back to fulfill that need, but she had to keep coming back because her need wasn't fulfilled. And she just had to keep coming back, constantly, constantly, constantly. And so, but what we see there is, is that Jesus, okay, he never separated, and he couldn't, he never separated himself from God the Holy Spirit. You see the two of them here. He was saying that again in John six sixty three. Oh Lord. Because in John six sixty three he said, it is the Spirit that imparts life, that imputes it and imparts it, quickens, is imputing and imparting. First, it has to be imputed before it can be imparted. The flesh profits nothing, but he said, the words that I speak, they are Spirit, Holy Spirit, and they are life, himself. And the Father sent both <laughs> in John 14, 26, And in John 15, 26, and Jesus, in in, in terms of the Godhead, he sent himself. Father came with him, and he sent the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse 17. And he said it was so necessary for him to go to the Father in terms of his humanity so that the Holy Spirit would come and would accomplish what Christ had accomplished that Christ couldn't have accomplished if he had stayed. He sent the Holy Spirit. And, but here we see the woman in John the 14th chapter. She kept coming back. She had to keep coming back. And of course Jesus discloses to her things that maybe others knew in her surrounding circles. And you know what others know in terms of our failure when we don't know Christ. Boy, all we can be is judges and operate in the flesh, God forbid, but there wasn't an ounce of judgment in him. Although he knew, he didn't commit himself to man in John chapter 2, and verse 24 and 25, because he knew what was in man. But he also knew what he was going to make available to them. So here, by the time he discloses to her, she's still trying to not only fill her her fragile water pot, and that's, that's really, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in these fragile clay jars. She didn't have that treasure in that jar, so she had to kept coming, keep coming back and filling it. Then she was going from man to man to fill that need, still was never met, until, she, until Jesus came, and he was there waiting, in Isaiah 30, verse 18, to, be gra- to grace her out with himself. But he said this in 421, Jesus said unto her woman, Believe me, the hour comes. The hour comes. Because in verse 20, he said, Our fathers, listen to this, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Yeah. did The overwhelming majority of them miss God the Father. That's why he said in Matthew 23 in verse 9, you don't call don't you call any man Father on the earth, who tell me that didn't get into a certain system that wasn't of God, and how that system <laughs> by heaven by having someone other than God the Father come in and replace him and look at all the the damage and the destruction that was done and of course in John ten ten a, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy by giving you another father in John 8, verse 44. That's the other father, by the way, and that's the other one that's in the system, too, by the way. A big system. And, and uh, But he came that they might have life. And what is the life? Christ is the life, but what did he bring? He brought us a loving, affectionate father. And, uh, and that's what he said, and in, in to have life and then to have it more abundantly together. But she said, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought ought to worship. I don't know. But did he say that? (laughs) Maybe the father said that. But Jesus, when he came, he did away with all of that. He went right outside the camp. Everything he did in Hebrews 13, 13 to 15, he did outside the the camp, the structured, organized religion, where men worship, but they don't worship God. And they don't have a loving father because they they can't worship properly. Why? Because they don't have a savior and they don't have a loving father. So here, Jesus answered her and said, Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me. Boy, if we only do that so quick, right? The hour comes... The hour comes, oh boy, we know. Oh boy, boy, the enemy had his his hour. But what the enemy thought was his hour in the power of darkness. I believe that that is, and I'm going to check it. Luke nine, and uh, well, it's not that, but it's anywhere. It's somewhere there in, in Luke. But he said, "But now is the hour and power of your darkness." That's what they thought. But they thought by crucifying him, they were going to get rid of him. They didn't want God as their father. They wanted to operate as fathers. They didn't want God as their father. And they thought by crucifying him that they would get rid of him and could still be their own father. Oh, Lord, can we father ourselves or anybody apart from Christ? No. And furthermore, when we do that, even though we may preach Christ, but we want a father and be in control of him, then truthfully, what is that? So she, he said, woman, believe me, the hour comes when you will neither worship in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Now, they, t- they wanted to get rid of him, the Pharisees. They said all along, those that wanted to be the fathers Said in John 18.40, not this man. The only one that could bring them a father. They said, not this man. Furthermore, in John 19.50, they said, crucify him. They said, crucify him. But you, well, what happened then? <clears throat> so, that's why they, they thought in their own deception under the enemy, who thought he could stop it, in 1 Corinthians two seven and 8. They thought, they thought, that by getting rid of him, they could they would by get rid of him, they would crucify him and get rid of him. But that's where the greatest demonstration of a loving father was poured out through his son. And that's where you see 1 Corinthians 2, 8, 9 through 16. And when we have the mind of Christ, what do we have? What did he have the whole time he walked the face of the earth? He had a loving father. He always turned to him. And that's what he was teaching us. In Matthew 11, you see it. When he was rejected, 25 to 27 in Matthew 11, what did he do? He turned to the Father. And that's why he said in uh, 11, Matthew 11, 28 to 30, come unto me. Because when you do, when you do, he will give you the rest and place you in a, in a place where you have a loving Father, the same place that he had. In eleven, twenty eight 28 to 30, where he would get rid of all those those, uh, the, the, the issues where we labor and are heavy laden so that we could rest in the love of the Father. That's what he told Mary at the tomb. And she did not recognize him. Ne- this woman didn't. She, she had a need but, that she couldn't fulfill, but she never recognized him until Jesus showed up. And this is what he did in, in John, the, uh, the fourth chapter. He said, but the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. That takes the Holy Spirit to show us the Father and to take the things of Christ and show them unto us in John 16, 13, and 14. And then to truth, which who Christ is in John 14, 16. And the truth is that God is a loving, affectionate Father and he's not willing that any should perish in 2 Peter 3 verse 8, gave us His Son so He could give us Himself, a loving Father. You will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks. Notice that? How did He seek? He sent us His Son. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. You know what the first step of a, a true worshiper is? The Father sought Him by giving us His Son. Verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, just the Holy Spirit, and in truth. Jesus is talking about himself and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) This is what he's talking about. You must because otherwise we function in this Father. And then we go from, from well to well, man to man, woman to woman, lust to lust. And we keep going. She didn't know him till he showed up to her. Then the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah that will come. He's called the Christ, the anointed one. He's going to come. She still doesn't know yet. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. And he's telling her right here. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto you am. He's saying he's the great I am, all the way back to Exodus 3 in verse 14. And before Abraham was, he said in John 8, 58 and 59 to the Pharisees, he said, I am. God, amazing. Bringing, and and when it says that in Colossians 2 in verse 9, where it says in the King James that he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily, really what it says is, the whole time he walked the face of the earth he was filled up with all of who God is and you see that at his baptism in, John, in Matthew 3 verse, in verse 16 through 17. Because you hear a voice from heaven that's the Father. The Son is there not only the Son of Man but the Son of God in Christ and then you have you know, the, the Holy Spirit a dove that comes upon him. You have, he's filled up with all that God is. It's amazing. But she didn't know him till this. And Jesus said, I am that speaks unto you. What was he saying to you? And what is he saying to us? And what was he saying to her? He was saying, in response to those Pharisees, he said in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are what? One. And that went into his high priestly prayer in John 17, 11 twenty one and twenty two bringing us to be true worshippers, and we'll see that we see it in picture in in uh, revelations the fifth chapter and verses nine through twelve We worship and we sing and we worship in a place where there's all all light and no darkness at all uh, based upon revelations twenty one and verse twenty three so she said. And then his disciples came and marveled that he talked with the woman. Because back then, men didn't really talk to, to women you know, in this way. Yet no man said, what seek you? And why do you talk with her? The woman then left her water pot. Why? Because she was filled up with Christ now. She, she literally received them as much as she could when, even before he came as Messiah, she recognized because he revealed it to her. I am the one that will fill you and the only one. Like us, in Colossians 2.10. You know, and when it says in 2.10, in answer to 2.9 in Colossians, where it says, and you are complete in him, really what it's saying is that you are filled up in him. You have a Father, you have God the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, who's the seal, who seals you in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22, in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, and Ephesians 1:13, we are sealed because we've been regenerated, made new uh, by, again, the Holy Spirit in this, in, in that whole work that Christ had finished in Titus 3 and verse 5. She didn't know him, but boy, She knew him then. Why? Because she left her water pot there. It's amazing. And went her way to the city and said to the man, Come, see a man (laughs) like I've never seen before that I ever did. He told me things that I ever did. Did he condemn her one time? Read John 8, (laughs) 1 through (sighs) 11 about those pharisees it's very interesting very interesting when that woman uh, when Jesus said get up he said where women where are your accusers she said, and he said there are none and uh it says there that the that they left those pharisees one after another they left and then you know what they brought that woman there to tempt and accuse Christ you imagine that oh Oh Lord. oh Lord. And then it says and then he bent down and he was writing on the ground. Can you imagine what he had? because he knew their thoughts from afar off in Psalm 139 verse 2 and Job 42 and verse 2. He knew their thoughts from afar off. He knew what they did. He knew everything about them far better than they even knew themselves. And I suppose possibly he wrote it down. Say, you brought this woman, and through, you thought, by accusing her, you could accuse me. And by the way, you thought she had problems. Let me write down some of yours. (laughs) And then each one would look in and go, oh, from the eldest to the least there, it says. They would look in and do an (laughs) about-face. Then one right after the other in the progression of where they had grown in their sins, each one of them left. And who did they leave with? They left without a father because they didn't have a Savior. And they weren't sealed. They, and the seal of the Holy Spirit is, we are, thank God, we are no longer our own in 1 Corinthians 6 19 and 20. We have been bought, the Father bought us through His Son. Why? And we've said this before. Listen, we have have a need to be loved. But God had a greater one to manifest and to love us. Can you imagine? No wonder it says in 1 John 4.10, herein is love. And that's what causes and brings in the rest and proper worship. It's being loved by an affectionate father. Because that's what he's like. He's not like the Pharisees and he's not like it and, and we are in Christ but he's not like us when we're in the flesh and he doesn't even condemn us but the fact is he's not like that at all. She didn't know him here but finally she did and she knew him enough that she no longer needed that water pot and she no longer needed and she no longer knew herself after that, those relationships that she had with those men what they may have done to her and what she may have done to him because all her guilt and condemnation was gone. All of it. Because she has a Savior and he brought with him a loving, affectionate father. She didn't know him. Then we know here, even in John 20, and we see it even in those that were even closest to him. So that was an unsaved person, right? And then we have even those that are his. They were those that are his. And so we see in John the 20th chapter, in verse 13, it says, And they say unto her, uh, Woman, why do you weep? She said, because they have taken away my Lord. And I know not where they have laid him. Now, should, should she have known this? Oh, yeah, because he told her in John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. And in that, He would never leave her nor forsake us. Now, and again, we may forget God, we may forget all His promises. We may forget who we are, but He never does. He never does, because it was at such, such cost that He won us and sealed us. And a seal of the Holy Spirit is proof that we're not our own anymore. we're His. And we have a loving Father, and it costs the Father his son. And for the son, it cost, for the father, cost him his life. And so it says here that I know not where they've laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw, listen, saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And how many times we are in circumstances and situations, we forget what he's said. We forget our position, and he's there right in the circumstance and situation, but we don't know him. We don't know him. And then we think we're left to ourselves. And then we have, we talked about it last night, then we have all these weights. And we take weights on us that he already dealt with. You know, the weights in Hebrews 12, 1. That's why we're to look away from all that distracts unto Jesus in 12.2. So we look away. What does that mean? The circumstances and situations, my bills, what I have, they aren't my guide. Christ is. And when I don't look away from those things, they become my authority and my guide. That is the lying father, so-called, in John 8, verse 44. Like there's a weight that that, is, that God has missed through Jesus Christ for us to do something about that goes into so much n- bad teaching and no teaching too. Well, she knew not that it was Jesus and Jesus said unto her woman, why do you weep whom seek you? She's supposing him to be the gardener. God Almighty. She supposed that he was just a gardener. Right? Said unto him, sir, if, you have, if you've taken him away and put him somewhere, tell me. Where you've laid him, and I will take him away. You know why? Because you know who she was seeking for? A dead Christ. Any worship there? Any proper worship? She went there looking for a dead Christ. Because her faith was in the circumstances and situations, and as a a result, in herself under the enemy. And she didn't have a proper expectation. In Psalm 62 and verse 5, and then Jesus said unto her, Mary, oh boy, and no one can say our names like Jesus can. No one can say our name. No one knows our nature in himself in us and us in him like he, can, he does. And she turned and said unto him, Rabbani, teacher, master, Lord. And of course, Jesus said unto her, touch me not. And it's not because he was this pure and had dealt with sin and Mary was still a sinner. Really, if you understand the scene in the original, she wanted to grasp him and keep him where he was. But he had to go to the Father to send down the Holy Spirit to do a work if he had stayed was not possible for him to accomplish after he had accomplished everything. He had to go up. And that's what John 16 says. And the seventh verse is bringing out very clearly. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father to send the Holy Spirit down for, for, first, to go in there and put his blood on the mercy seat in Hebrews 9, 12, so that our conscience would be cleansed. In 9, 14 of Hebrews, having a cleansed conscience makes a pure worshiper in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. Sins are dealt with. Now we're pure. We've been purified by our faith in Acts 15, verse 9. We've been purified, into the pure all things are pure. We see clearly in Titus 1, and verse 15, no longer having a defiled conscience in our experience. And so that makes us a, a, a pure and true worshiper. And that's the true God and Jesus Christ, who's in us, and we're in him in 1 John 5, 20, and that keeps all the idols out, those false reasonings and lies that we bow down to, and worship the lie rather than the truth. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and what? Your Father. And to my God. And your God. Now, obviously, he meant that in a way that, in terms of deity. So, not only, and in, in this way, for all eternity, we're going to see Christ, and how he's glorified us and gave us that glory in John seventeen verse twenty-two. The glory that we could never have, that the Godhead have had, and that would he—that's what he would express in John 17 and verse 24. But you're going to see me glorified, you know, like he was transfigured on the mount there of olives in John the seventeenth chapter, one through five, and he started within. He started to glow, God, and that was he was teaching them as we know there about prophecy and how far above he was it. He, he was of that prophecy. But he said, I ascend unto them. She didn't know him until he expressed herself to him. And when he did and she received it, she has a loving father. She has a loving father and so do we. I studied this this morning as God was counseling me again. And uh, he always does that in these morning, in these morning times where the enemy wants to say to me, trying to say to me you know yeah maybe god loves you but you you all your you know your whole life you never loved god and that was a lie he was trying to express it to me yesterday with sorrow now there was times when there was a lot of times when it wasn't but there were a lot of times when he was faithful in me and i submitted to him and then he came out in love oh boy And that goes into what Mike was talking about, what we talked about. I remember this, talking about this in, I don't know, 2009 and 2010, primary security. And primary security is where a loving father never ties his love to my performance because that was tied to Jesus Christ who performed what only he could do. And he did it. That's why it says in Job 23 and verse 14 in Psalm 138 and verse 8, he performs the thing that he requires. All he requires from us is to receive what's already been finished. That makes me a pure, true, restful, loving worshiper. Worshipper. And we can live in sacrificial worship, and we see in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, returning our worshipful thanks. We become that sacrifice in Christ to him. In Hebrews 13, verse 15. Now, in Luke 24, we see here, obviously, that he's been, he has been crucified again. And I, like, I love the scriptures in Luke 24, and verse 1. It says the first day of the week. You know the first day of the week is, right? It's not Monday, it's Sunday. Saturdays, the last is the last day of the week. That is is the last day, right? That's why a lot still, I'm not going to name them, but a lot still worship on Saturdays because they don't have Christ and finished work and understanding it. They may have it positionally, but they don't have it in terms of when the church began, the seventh day. Beautiful, that was the day in Genesis two, one through two, after God had finished his his creative acts through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were all in concert with that in Genesis one verses one through thirty one But on the seventh day in Genesis two one and two, what did he do? He rested, and where does the Father's love for us rest in Zephaniah three and verse seventeen? He rests in the love of his Son. And that's where we find our rest. And only when we rest in what Christ has finished finished, do we operate as proper worshipers. And the truth keeps out all the lies, the lying father in John 8, verse 44. It was the first day of the week. Notice this? This said very early in the morning. If you look at the... Listen, honestly, I think the most impactful time for all of us, not just me, but for all of us, with the word... And intimacy and fellowship and communion with Christ is early in the morning. Because what I take, what I get in the morning, I can take with me all through the day as a supply, fill, a filled up water pot, and take it right into the night and give me rest in, in, in Psalm 127 verses 2 and 3 uh, based upon uh, Psalm 16 verses uh, 6 and 7. Beautiful correlation of the scriptures. So it's the first day of the week and they came to the sepulcher and they're still looking for a dead Christ. Right? Of course, and then what did they see? They, say, they saw two men stood by them in shining garments. They saw a couple of angels here and, as, and, and they were absolutely afraid and bowed their faces down in verse 5 to the earth and they said unto them, they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Jeez. He is not here, but is risen. Again, that was all brought out in Matthew 28, 1 through 6. He's not here, but he's risen. And guess who he sent down? Hmm? Guess who he gave us? By giving us himself, we got a father. And we got the Holy Spirit when the church actually did begin, begin not in Acts 9, not in Acts 13 or 26, but in Acts 2, verse 4. Because that was done by Christ even before Paul, even before he had given Paul all that church truth, <laughs> that heavenly position. It's clear in the Scriptures. So we see it all the way through here. We see, we see here that it was Mary in verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene and, and Joanna and Mary the mother of, of James and other women that were with them which told them these these things unto the apostles. Now these women are telling, hey, listen, it's empty. He's not dead. He's not a dead Christ. He's alive. <laughs> you know, we have that life in us in Colossians 3 and verse 4, that eternal life in 1 John 5 verse 11. Way beyond anything in time. <laughs> We have eternal life in us in time. That means he's in control of everything about us. And we can just rest in him and be a pure, true worshiper and not allow the idols to come in between us and him because we know that's behind an idol. Whatever that thing is, is some form of a demon under the father of lies in John 8 verse 44. And thank God we don't have to get seduced by those things. In 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not an operating principle in him. So they don't experience a loving, affectionate Father. See? And so, their woman told them these things. And look at verse 11, and their words seemed to them as idle tales. What are you talking about? And they believed them not. Then arose Peter, and he ran into the sepulcher. He had to have some evidence, do we? He had to have evidence. I'm not going to believe you till you give me evidence. I'm not going to trust you till you meet my need. I will not trust you until you meet all my needs. Well, has he in Philippians 4 and verse 19. And as a result, can I do all things? And only through him in 4.13. That even talks about worship too, by the way based upon Hebrews 13, 15, and the scriptures in John 4, uh, 23 and 24, and scores of other scriptures. Then arose Peter, and he ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and, and departed, wondering in himself that which was come to pass. I mean, didn't Jesus tell them? I will, I'm going to be crucified third day. I'm going to arise. I will not leave you comfortless in John 14, 18. In other words, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. What is that? What's an orphan? Don't have a father. I will not leave you. And I will not leave you to worship by yourself <laughs> because that's only lust patterns. But this is what he said. He was still wondering Because where was his view? What was was his view? His own thoughts? Those lead to proper worship? That leads me to an affectionate, loving father. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus. Right? Wandering. That's what Emmaus means. Wandering. You don't have him in your experience, you're going to wander. That's what the woman kept doing. At the well, one, wandered from one man to the next, from one unfilled lust which is never satisfied, it's insatiable, from one thing to the next. <laughs> they were on the way to Emmaus. They were wandering, what? Which was about, you know, from Jerusalem, three score furlongs. And they talked together of these things. But how were they talking? In their own thoughts, wandering. But it was their thoughts. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't the thought of God, and they were wandering. That's what it causes us to do when He's not our thought, Christ. We don't have a loving Father. He's not in control, and so, and, it, and so. And then, what did they do? They talked together of these things which had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed, they were they were talking together, and reasoned. Uh, and who was the source of their reasonings while they were wandering in thoughts they thought were theirs? Casting down imaginations. Imaginations there in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 is reasonings, false reasonings based upon lies. Yeah, the enemy wants to come in and daddy you by his lies. Experientially, you can't touch opposition, 1 John five eighteen, because we already have that father. That's what Jesus told us. And that's what we have already. And so, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, <laughs> look who shows up. Jesus drew, himself drew near and went with them. You and I may not know it, we may not feel it. And if we base it upon our own thoughts and our emotions, somehow Jesus isn't there and he doesn't care what's happening. But their eyes were holden. By who? The father of all eyes, wandering. They were held captive in Second Timothy 2 verse 26 by Satan. They're daddying them in John 8 verse 44 as Mike brought out with, in correlating those beautiful scriptures and uh, just find, the way that God dovetailed what he, he gave Mike and what he was giving me this morning. I don't think I should be any longer surprised to uh, just blessed I am that's what I mean. I'm just blessed by it. But their eyes were holding that they should not know Him. and the enemy doesn't want you and I to know him. And he, Christ, said unto them, "What kind of communication is this that you're having with one another? Because all it's doing is making you sad, depressed, sad. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto them, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? And God said Ed, to me this morning, Is my son a stranger in your life? Is he? And I said, Well, not as far as he's concerned. He's not a stranger. And I don't want him to be a stranger in my life. And I don't want him to be a stranger in your life. And he loves me. And I deeply desire to love you with his love and to receive his love in you for me. And that's called we have fellowship. We have a thing in common. We have an affectionate father. And we don't condemn each other. And we don't cause guilt sometimes the sword is sharp, it has to cut it away but it's not an accusation or a condemnation it's a a beautiful loving affectionate father through his son by the power of the Holy Spirit convicting us in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32 so that we don't function in condemning rotten lies of the enemy he said are you a stranger and that's who he was, they didn't know him yeah, in the in the most beautiful sense, in First Peter two eleven, we are strangers and pilgrims here, but we're not without a father, a loving Savior, and an unbelievable Holy Spirit who takes the things of Christ, and without stint, without failure, brings them to us in John sixteen thirteen and fourteen. And are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? And that's where he was a stranger. They hated him. That's where he was crucified. He was a stranger. And has not known the things which are come to pass in these days. And he said unto them, what things? What things? He says to me, and he says to all of us, what things? You tell me what things can come in between you and me that I haven't dealt with. That I haven't given you a loving father, a great high priest in Hebrews 4 14 to 16, that you can run to any anytime you want. That great high priest and apostle of our faith, our dependence in Hebrews 3 1, you yeah, run to me instantly. You can come to me in Matthew 11 28 to 30. And when you do, you get a father in Matthew 11 28 to 30. You, you get that, and I get that. What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet. Look at He was mighty in deed and in word. His word was based upon his nature and what he had accomplished in his person. He never tells us to believe his word where his person has not accomplished that on my behalf to his father in propitiation, but for me as my substitute. And what will we substitute for him? A stranger. Yeah, you know who the stranger is? It's that lying father in John 8, verse 44, the father of all lies, who will give us his lust to function in and make a mind in the place of a loving father. Like that can be replaced. Like the woman, oh, she tried to, to fix her need, replace her need. She never could. We never could, and we never can, but we don't have to. It's done. What things Jesus said? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, before God. Notice that. And you know what God told me this morning, Ed? You know what's the most important thing about you? Is what you do before me. And when it's done before me, then I can manifest it to people. But that's what we care about. See, reputation is who people say I am and how they'll treat me. But character is who I am in the sight of God through his son. And I can do it. I can do the smallest thing. I don't care what it is. I can do the smallest thing and do it unto him. And how in verse 20, the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted. Seems like you let us down, though. No. You told me, you called me, you said I would do this, and you called me, and, and I trusted you. Now where are you? But we trusted it had been, we trusted that it had been he which would have redeemed us. Israel, beside all this to this day, Is already the third day since these things were done. And did he rise right there? And was he resurrection life for them right there? And yea, certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they had found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels. Those were those two men in white that we just read, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, and that's Peter too, we saw that, and found it even so, as the woman had said, but they saw him not. Why? They're looking for a dead Christ. They're looking for a dead Christ. No worship there. They're looking for a dead Christ. Then he, Christ, said unto them, and he said it in the most tender, tender tones. Oh, you fools, you self-confident one. You are functioning in self-consciousness under the Father's lies and so slow of heart. (sighs) When am I going to be able to separate you from living in self-consciousness and false reasonings to bring you over into your proper place so that the Holy Spirit now will be your guide? and lead you into proper worship. You know Christ, you know what? In Psalm 22 and 22, and Hebrews 2, 12, did you, did you know that Christ, for all for all eternity, he's going to lead us in our worship, together with us as one of us, to God the Father? <laughs> he's going to thank God the Father that God gave the Son to himself to be the, the sacrifice. And oh boy, it was what an honor <laughs> that only he could do. And then we receive that sacrifice and we're one with him. He's going to lead us in worship for all eternity. <laughs> God. Mm. We're going to worship him in Revelation 5, 9-12. to Just like all our loved ones that have left this earth in Christ. That's what they're doing right now. They're worshiping him in the, in the most purest sense that we could even imagine. He said, "Oh, slow of hearts, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in in all the scriptures the things concerning him. You see, scripture has to do with Christ, by the way. He's he, Every type, every promise is all in Christ. And beginning at Moses, he did all of that. Concerning himself. And they drew near unto the village where they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him. <laughs> I love that. You know why? Because now they're loved and they want more. Because the love of God constrains us in Second Corinthians 5 and verse 14. And that love keeps us from wandering our thoughts and keeps us in a proper place. Our proper place is true worshipers, by the way. And they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward the evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat with them, having meat, which means fellowship, he's he's fellowshipping with them, instant fellowship, He's not condemning them for what they did. He's just instantly felt, desiring deeply to fellowship with them. And he, and he, he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. He's teaching them john six thirty to fifty seven he's the bread that came down, and their eyes were opened. oh God, he needs to constantly renew our minds in ephesians four twenty three and to, and open our eyes constantly ephesians one eighteen to open our eyes, and that's what Jesus was saying to his those that he taught in matthew thirteen fifteen Blessed are your ears for they hear and your eyes for they see, and it keeps you from wandering, my love my affectionate love, affectionate Father, and a loving Savior. Their eyes were opened, and they knew him. They knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they did say one to another, Did not our heart, everything about us, burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen, and has appeared to Simon. And they told him this. And this is going into now John, the 20th chapter. In the beginning of that, and all the way down through, where Jesus comes in, because they're living in fear because of the Jews. But he came right through where they locked themselves in. He came right through. There wasn't anything that impeded him from entering into where they were same with us, and he's not a stranger. And don't listen to a stranger's voice, but hear his voice in John 10, 3, 4, 14, 27. We have that shepherd. Father, thank you so much for your love. And I uh, wanted to speak on oracle, uh, but God had something different, and uh, I, his different is always the best, knowing when where are and, and what we need the most when we most need it. And Father, thank you for your precious love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.